Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Tonight we've got Jennifer Pasteloff and Lydia Yuknovich. Uh, Lydia Yuknovich is the author of the award-winning memoir, The Chronology of Water, as well as the best-selling novels, The Book of Joan and The Small Backs of Children, which won the Oregon Book Award. The Misfits Manifesto is her book based on her TED Talk, The Beauty of Being a Misfit, which was received over 2.6 million views. She's the founder of the Corporeal Writing Workshops and lives in Portland, Oregon. Jennifer Pasteloff travels the world with her unique workshop, On Being Human, a hybrid of yoga-related movement, writing, sharing aloud, letting the snot fly, and the occasional dance party. Jennifer is a frequent contributor to Shape Magazine, and she has been featured on Good Morning America, New York Magazine, Health Magazine, CBS News, and others for her unique, unique style of teaching, which she has thought, taught to thousands and sold-out workshops all over the world. Jen is also the guest speaker at Canyon Ranch, and she leads writing and the body workshops with author Lydia Yuknovich. Founder of the online magazine, The Manifestation. When Jen is not traveling, she's based in Los Angeles. Please join me in welcoming again, Lydia and Jennifer. pure Jen Pasteloff fashion, I thought this was just a conversation. So just now, next door, Lydia said, what are you going to read? And I said, excuse me? We're just talking. <laughs> no, you're reading. So I ran upstairs real quick and picked. Also, I didn't have glasses, so my friend bought me a pair of readers here. <laughs> yes. So anyway, thank you. Before I say that, thank you all for coming. I am um, sitting really awkwardly. I'm really, really jet-lagged, which I think is a good thing because um, it helps with nerves. I just got in last night. I'm nine hours ahead right now, so good morning. Um, thank you all for being here, and my son's here somewhere, Charlie, so if you hear a child screaming, it's him. Um, this is the best moment of my life besides when you were born, kiddo. So, hello. I thought I would read... Um, I thought I would read the page that I just lost, something from the beginning, which is not Lydia's forward. So this is from the um, introduction, kind of like how I got started with this thing that I do. I'm gonna put on my readers. It's called Becoming the Connector. I can think of all the cliches. Yoga found me. When the student is ready, the teacher shall appear. Yoga had been in me all along. And I wanted to punch them all in the face. <laughs> Even though my workshop on being human isn't yoga, not in the traditional sense, little about me is traditional in the traditional sense. Yoga does mean union or connection. And that is what I do in my workshops in my non traditional way. Even as a child, my nickname was the connector, also the worrywart. 
This sounds like my Yiddish grandmother, my bubby. Aside from my workshop being about connection, the thing everyone ends up saying to each other during the experience is, I got you. Yoga was the conduit for my workshop. I have always believed myself to be terrible at most things. Typing, cleaning, baking, sewing, math, returning emails, except connecting. I excel at connection and deep listening despite my deafness. I am now able to bring groups of people together because I used some of my street skills and my instincts to craft something that was outside of the box and make it my own. My connector skills were helped along by waiting tables for 500 years. Well, 13 and a half. So I had what you would call people skills, if not serving ones. I was a terrible waitress. I would remember in the middle of the night that table 32 went to Cholula sauce or someone asked me for a grasshopper, mint, wheatgrass, pineapple, ice, blenders. I was the worst. If I waited on you during my serving years, I apologize if I messed up your order, brought you the wrong check, double charged you for your latte, spilled your latte, brought your latte cold, dropped a hair on your plate, made you repeat yourself seven times as I squatted by your table so I could be eye to mouth with you and read my lips while I was still in denial that I was deaf. But I'm not sorry if I rested my hand on your shoulder or made you laugh or remembered you from the last time. I was a terrible waitress, but a pretty decent human. On top of my connecting and forced listening skills, I'd also studied acting and was a writer, albeit a writer who wasn't writing. So I combined all these things and voila, I created my yoga, not yoga workshops. People are always asking me, but how did you start doing this? How did you go from working at the newsroom as a waitress for almost two decades to being a guest on Good Morning America with your karaoke yoga and your self-designed retreats all over the world? How? I get these messages like, I get messages like these on a daily basis. People asking me for tips, tips on getting started or wanting to know how I went from wanting to die and hating my life and my body and everything about myself to not wanting to die and loving my life a good majority of the time, even when it's difficult. It's worth noting that I did not say from wanting to die and hating my life to being happy all the time and loving my perfect life. I love it most of the time, but not all the time. My life is not perfect, is anyone's? An Instagram filter is just a filter that obscures the hard re edges of reality. So when people ask me for advice on how to get started, I wonder, started with what? I just woke up, and I was leading retreats to Italy, and I was writing a book, and my son was potty trained, and I was comfortable feeling my feelings instead of thinking they wouldn't kill me. What a load of crap. I also wonder what people mean when they ask, how did you get started? Because I can't fully explain what I do. The way love and, listen, love and listening alchemize the fear in the room and turn strangers into friends. Friends who stay friends and support one another across miles and through countless troubles. The way all the people who try so hard to hide who they are and what they're afraid of and what they want for themselves until they don't until they stop hiding and they let the snot fly and they let themselves truly be seen. In other words, they let themselves become fallen lovable, a word I made up. 
As my workshop started to morph into something more than yoga poses, I began to feel like I was falling in love with everyone in the room who allowed themselves to be vulnerable. And it dawned on me that the part of them I was smitten with was the side they probably tried to hide, just as I had done with my own vulnerability or perceived weaknesses. It wasn't the people being strong or snarky or guarded who made me want to know them more, who made me want to wrap my arms around them. It was the ones who had snot dripping from their nose who whispered, I'm afraid, who admitted they had no idea what they were doing. It was the ones who let themselves be silly and sing out loud, the ones who told the truth, the ones who shared their stories wholeheartedly. It was when they started to take off their armor and soften that I felt that surge of love. The same one I feel now when my son says, Mommy? Or when he wakes up with his hair sticking straight up. Hi, Charlie. It was a feeling I got when someone was utterly themselves without any subconsciousness, when they allowed themselves to be seen. What is more desirable than that? My workshop is an exercise in allowing yourself to be fallen lovable to make that original connection with yourself. It's also about falling in love. I fall in love every day. Sorry, Robert, my sweet husband. I look at people with their quivering lips and their rounded shoulders, trying to hide their hearts as they say, I'm afraid I'll be alone for the rest of my life. And I fall so totally in love with them that I want to take them home to my one-bedroom apartment and make them copy and say, you're not alone. I got you. I want to say everything is going to be okay. So I do. I spent my whole life trying to hide who I was, trying to hide my clinical depression and my hearing loss and my swallowed grief and the fact that I was a college dropout and that I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I also hid that I wanted a big, beautiful life, and I wanted to make an impact on other people's lives and make them big and beautiful too. And then I stopped hiding. When I started to get honest about who I am, people started to wait for it, respond to me. They started to say things like, you make me feel less alone. I thought I was the only one. Thank you for being honest. I was like, um, all I have to tell the truth? All I have to do is tell the truth about who I am. And no one answered, but I took that as a resounding yes because people were coming to my workshops and reading my writing, and I felt purposeful, full of passion, fueled by equal parts, grit and grace. I was afraid that if I told the truth, I would shrivel up and die or get rocks thrown at my head. I was worried that if I let myself feel things, I would explode, and there would be nobody there to pick up the pieces. I did not shrivel up and die, get rocks thrown at my head, and I certainly did not explode, except I felt like I might at the very end of my pregnancy. So when people say, how did you get started? I want to respond, started with what? I don't know what to call this thing I do, this on being human workshop. I don't know what category it falls into, how to label it. It's not a yoga workshop per se, it's not a writing workshop, not really. It's an experience, yes, but there is no gear involved, no zip lines or fancy equipment. But it is something. Just because I can't put it into a box doesn't mean it does not deserve to exist or that it doesn't make an impact. I don't want to be in the box anyway. I call the box the just a box. Just a yoga teacher, just a teen, just a mom, just a girl, just a waitress, just a wife, just a teacher. I reject that box. Fuck that box.
serves no purpose for me and it likely doesn't for you either. Just because we can't name things does not mean they don't have a place or value in the world. Isn't that part of being human? Not being able to define ourselves in a word. I can't tell anyone how I started this thing because I don't even know what it is. The truth is, I'm afraid to look back and remember my journey because it's so much easier to be a walking dead person with no awareness and to just keep moving all the time forward. But that's not really easier. That's your inner asshole talking, further referenced as your IA, and it tells you lies, dirty rotten lies. It's easier to act like I have always been here so I don't have to revisit any of the darkness. What if I get stuck there? What if I wake up and want to die again? What if it hurts too much? What if I become the old me again? Spoiler alert, there is the, no the old me. <laughs> I'm still um, the same me. I just don't hate myself anymore and you'll have to read the rest of the book to find out what happened. But um, thank you, now that I'm sweating bullets, thank you for <laughs> listening. Thank you. I, I, would, I wanted to look up so many times and like make eye contact, but I'm w wearing these weird readers. So every time I looked up, I was like, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> so, Lydia. Oh, thank you. This is my wifey, Lydia. <laughs> Yuknovich. Thank you. There is nothing more beautiful in the world, well, now I have to say, than your faces. Good God. <laughs> We're in LA. <laughs> Apparently. But what I was going to say is there's nothing more beautiful in the world than being present when your best friend is having the light come to her. Could you please just give it up again for my best friend? I shall now burst into tears. <laughs> Just thrilled to be here with you and so happy for you and so in love with you. You too. I love you too. I love you. We have been on a journey together since we met each other. Um, and partly that journey began with Jen having the seeds of feeling like she might want to write a book and me having the seeds of, well, could I quit my academic job of 30 years and do something not academic? And both things happen. And I don't think they would have happened the same way if we hadn't met each other. So it's just the luck of the universe and the stars that we get to be together. I wanna start with kind of the title but also something you just talked about. Why do you think it is that people hide their human? Um, why do you think, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like we walk around most of the time like this, holding in the most vulnerable things, the most maybe important things, the most amount of things where we think somebody's going to look at it and go, mm, have a judgment. Why do you think we've become 
so good at holding it all in. I think because our inner asshole thinks it's protecting us and tricks us into thinking that this is going to save your life. You know, I think about when my father died and I was eight and uh, I was devastated. I wanted to die, but instead I just said, I don't care. And I clenched my jaw and I just unclenching it now. Uh, I thought it would save my life. And I think a lot of us, it's just, um, it's counterintuitive, but it's that, you know, our work now is letting go of listening to the inner asshole, but it's like, um, this will protect you. This will allow you to keep going. And yet, we have these experiences where we're utterly vulnerable and we see how beautiful it is. So my hope is that we remember that more and more. We just, most of us haven't allowed ourselves or put ourselves in those kind of rooms or places or situations or relationships. And I don't know, that's my life's work is trying to answer that question and uncover, or as you would say, what's underneath that. Right. When I'm in your workshops or working with you, and um, God, raise your hand if you've been in a workshop with Jen. Look at this. (laughs) 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 I've witnessed it. The the letting down, the... Falling apart, but not to pieces, a kind of falling apart that leads to something you forgot you lost, and you can finally see it. And it just makes me wonder, where did we get this fucked up idea of protection that you're talking about, that we think holding it in would be, would serve that, would would be a way to protect? When, hi, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. You know, um, part of what goes on in your workshops is you have to let go of this notion of protection that's false, that's a false fiction, that you'll be strong. Look, Mm -hmm. I'm making a muscle. That's all I can do. I'm 56. That's it. That's all you get. You know, that if if you're strong and impenetrable and you don't cry and you don't show emotions, that's a form of protection. But in your workshops, I've witnessed it, that protection falls away. And the person who's most like, I'm not going to laugh, I'm not going to cry. I'm not, mm, I'm going to be the person who's serious. When they fall, it's so beautiful <laughs> to witness. Is that beautiful to you, to watch people's shells kind of? Oh, it's my favorite thing. It's so incredible. And I just came off a retreat in France, and it was, um, yeah, just to watch that on taking off your armor. And I was in a village in France, Benoc. I think it was called. And I found a postcard with two people in armor. And I took it just to always remember, like, your armor is no good in here. Um, Yes, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And, you know, and then we go back to real life and we put it back on. And But this, you know, everyone's faces wrapped and listening and our relationship. And it's... It's the most beautiful thing I've ever witnessed. Okay, out to you for a second. Are you ready? Raise your hand if there's something about yourself you don't like or wish was different. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was waiting. <laughs> Can you talk a teeny bit more about what you mean by your inner asshole? Like, what is that? And this thing they all just cop to. You know, you have something about yourself, meh, you wish was different. What's the inner asshole? What is that? Your inner asshole. So in, in France last week, I was talking about your mantra, which is, I, I call it also your mind tattoo. It's like we repeat ourselves as humans uh, all day long, you know. And your mantra is um, the thing that you repeat in your head a lot. And mine used to be, I am a bad person. I'm fat. I'm just a college dropout. You know, you name it, I had a lot. So in France last week, I was tired, I guess, but maybe not because I said you're monstra. Yeah, don't steal that. <laughs> and I realized, so I was like, oh, your monstra is the one your inner asshole brings. So the inner asshole is, I think we all have one, I'm pretty sure. And some of us have louder ones. It's the voice that, you know, tells us we're not enough. Um, and it's, for whatever reason, easier to listen to that one more often or like the one external asshole or the many external assholes than the ones who love us, right? Which is why I love that quote so much, how bold one gets when one is sure of being loved, which is like the polar opposite of your inner asshole. Um, your inner asshole is the one that, you know, when you all raise your hand, whatever it was you don't like about yourself, which is not to say that we're, we're uh, like, you can, I'm not suggesting you just sit on your butt and never do anything or exercise or anything like that, but the constant, like, not enoughness is um, shouted from the mountaintops by our inner asshole. And he or she or whatever gender your inner asshole is is, is sometimes easier to listen to. Lots of times. It's most familiar, right? Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's less familiar to listen to a voice that tells you you're great or you're loved. That's exactly. unfamiliar. Hi, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to L.A. in a while, and you're all beautiful, and I love you. <laughs> um, but your inner asshole is completely familiar. You default to it when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you're, mm -hmm. you know, feeling small. Um, but from you, I have learned to make a very interesting dance with my inner asshole, like invite my inner asshole for scotch. Wait, you said I'm inviting my inner asshole for scotch? Yes. And invite me. And make, <laughs> you can come, and make some kind of relationship and some kind of playful drama yep. with my inner asshole, because maybe she's lonely. I love that, actually. So one of the things that I talk about a lot is fear. I, I think you could disagree with me because whatever, we all have our own opinions, but that the only truly fearless people are psychopaths, right? They don't have empathy. They're fearless. The rest of us have varying degrees of fear, and so I prefer fearless-ish. <laughs> um, and so I say, I always say, I'm going to buy my fear a cup of coffee and show it how it's done, or wine. Right. But... Um, Somebody misunderstood me once, and in London we were after. She goes, I love when you say that, well, in her English accent, but that you're going to take your fear out for a cup of coffee. And I said, well, I don't, but can I borrow that? Because I love that. <laughs> and that's what you're saying, and yeah. I love that idea of that. Yeah, find a role. Right. And yeah. it, 
befriending it a bit, but she's saying like, you're not going to, I'm not, you're not going to be the boss of me. Yeah. It's worth a try. Mm-hmm. It's worth a try. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between hearing and what I believe to be one of your greatest strengths, which is Jen Pasteloff, raise your hand if you agree, is the world's greatest listener. Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But hearing is a complexity in your life, and listening is your greatest strength. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Because I've had to learn, you know, over the years, my hearing loss has progressed. Somebody actually wrote a review, and they got it wrong. They said, growing up deaf, and I wasn't. It's just gotten worse and worse and worse. But I've had to learn how to listen in other ways, with other cues and with my whole body. And for me, listening, it's such a physical act. It's such a physical act. And especially if you've been in my workshop, you'll see, like, I literally crawl on the floor, and I get in your face so I can read your lips. But I'm, I have to be so right there um and because I've been so I think self-conscious of my hearing loss I've worked so much harder at hearing and listening that it's like it's like anything it's a skill that I have honed and and a craft like I said, I'm terrible at most things, but there's a couple things I'm good at, and one of them is is this. And it doesn't. It means a lot of times I mishear the words. You should hear the things that I think I hear. They're hilarious and always wrong. It's true. But I hear you. You know, not to sound too corny. You know. Yeah. Because I, so much of our world is nonverbal, and I've just really I've learned how to pay attention. Some days I suck at it because I'm human, but I've really learned how to pay attention. So, and also in the work we do in my workshops, I've seen how watching other people listen and get listened to, what that does to them. And I'm like, oh, that's the key to life. Watching people's lives change, am I right? And what's it from? Being heard. Bingo. I found the key to life. And seen? Yes, but really it's one and the same. Yeah, I've watched it. I've watched it happen. Being seen and heard. Like, what else does anyone want? I mean, and that's really, I got you. I got you. And that's my bracelet and the tattoo I want to get if I ever get one. You, sh- you maybe should get one. <laughs> I'm working on my next one. <laughs> um, this is actually hard for me, and you know it's hard for me because we've know. talked about it a lot. And or you've we haven't talked about it a lot, but you've witnessed my failure a lot. Um, how important? It's kind of a weird way to put it, but how would you talk about the role of joy and and play in the work that you do? Um, for some of us who had uh, childhoods taken away from them for one reason or another, joy and play turn out to be the highest mountains. God damn it. Sorry, God people. (laughs) Uh, You know, like I'm going to spend the rest of my life still trying to find it. But when I met Jen, I touched it for a second. The first time I, oh, I'm going to cry. Look away. (laughs) I I touched it for a second. I thought, it's not impossible. 
And that's as far as I've gotten. I keep working on it. But could you talk about that a little bit? Joy and play. Yeah, well, just so you guys know, I was born 40. Um, <laughs> my whole life I've been told, you should smile more. You're always so depressed. So it's so ironic to me. I mean, you're a good listener and the joy thing. It's like, I, I really am like, what? But I've realized that, you know, I call it dork it out. And so those of you that have been, you know, we sing and we dance and people are terrified to come and they're like, hell no. And then they do. And without fail, everybody joins in. And it's this, I don't know. It, it really is one of the things that saved my life is allowing myself, especially because I was born 40 and I was so filled with grief and sadness and depression to be able to allow myself. It's, it's like, what are you allowing in your life? <laughs> and, and most people don't allow it in just for joy for no reason, which is why I love the idea of beauty hunting, just looking for the most beautiful things, which there's like 700,000 right now. Um, and, or being silly and sang, singing out loud or whatever it is. Um, Especially because, from a poem I wrote about 10 years ago, the last lines I say, let your joy be contagious. Let it spread through your home, your job, your children. Let it spread through the world like a virus so that when you forget it, you'll catch it from someone else. And that is what I realized, we're so contagious. And if you don't believe me, go gossip. True story, right? So I'm not always joyful. Most of the, I still deal with depression a lot. I don't post about it all the time because it's much harder to post or write about something when you're in it than when you're after it. It's like, well, I was, I used to be really depressed. But we're contagious beings. And so it, it, I think to be mindful of what we're spreading, that's not to say to be joyful all the time, but to be able to find it in the most mundane things. You know, like the way you're looking at me or, I mean, just the way the sweat's dripping down my face. It's like utterly ridiculous after the blowout I got, you know? <laughs> um, but really, just like finding it everywhere for no reason. Yeah. I have learned it from you. I don't know what you said, but I could see the way you're looking. I have learned it from you. Oh. Uh, I could write a book on what I learned from you, and I did. <laughs> so I feel on fire. <laughs> I want to ask you one more thing, and then I'm going to throw it back out to you, because probably you want to ask some things, right? Which I probably won't be able to hear, so I have to come sit on your lap. <laughs> we'll <laughs> figure your it lips. out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, can you speak briefly to um, telling parts of your life that were difficult or struggle or hard? Like, why do that? Why put that on the page? Why open that up? And if there are people in the room wondering the same thing, like, why do that? Because a lot of um, criticism or pressure comes from the outside, like, be quiet. Tell something else. Well, it's like what I read. I mean, there's a few reasons, and it's like what I read in, in the introduction, which is I, like one little thing I tested, and then people would, oh, my God, you make me feel less alone, or, oh, my God, I had so much shame, or, oh my God, I wanted to end my life and now I don't. I mean, you know, and I thought, oh, really? I mean, and then one more. Um, also because I think <laughs> literally it was killing me to keep it inside. Agreed. Literally. 
And we all find ways, whether we're writers or actors, whatever it is, to hopefully express that or let it out or turn it into art. And, and by art, I don't necessarily mean art. I mean, it could be a, a cup of coffee or something you make, but I wasn't making anything for a long time. And so finally, I made something. Here, have it. Now it's not mine anymore. But I do think that sharing our stories is everything. It's absolutely, I mean, that's how we've continued on in the world is, is storytelling. So it's important. It's also important to know I'm not the only one. That's right. I'm not the only one, right? It's the whole Me Too movement. Right. Thank you. Can we just clap at her for a second? <laughs> Sweat. I, lo I love how my mom's in the front row miming me to keep fixing my... my <laughs> Let's hear it for Jewish mothers. Um, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm positive you probably have some questions too. Hi. Um, so we can, I can help, I can help. Um, you Sam, and if she wants some repeated question, I'll do it. Oh, that's what you mean with yeah. you, you can translate. Yeah. yeah. Great question. That's such a hard question because so much of the book, you know, I sold it on proposal and I think I wrote it over about a year and so much of it was written already because those of you that have like followed me on social media, I was, I was saying, I'm writing a book for 10 years. And I was just sort of writing, writing, but I wasn't, I had no idea and I just was saving it. So, so much of it was sort of culminating and, and extracting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember, which is something I'm working on, you know, like already I'm like, it feels like 10 years ago. Um, I feel like the ending, I mean, especially the part where my son is born and a person in the world definitely came toward the end. And actually a lot of the, the, the time where I talk about marrying my husband, Robert, was, was more of the last stuff I wrote. It's a good question that I can't answer very accurately. Oh, I can't hear. Is he saying mommy? Yes. In the street. <laughs> My child. <laughs> Running wild. I mean, I feel it's a, it's a, it is such a good question, though, but I've, you know, I, so I wrote the proposal, and now I go back and read it, and I don't know, and my mom even laughs, because she's like, you haven't written the book yet, but it's due in, in nine months. But so much of it already was really written. It was just waiting. Because all this time I said I'm writing a book, but I really had no idea what it was. So I just kept saving it, saving it. And then I found a way with the help of my friend Emily Rat Black and Lydia to like put it together, you know. But it wasn't like I sat down and was like chapter one at all. 
And in fact, the hardest part was figuring out the structure. I think that is, I mean, for any book, I have a feeling that's one of the hardest things. So, it's a fake eyelash in my eye. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's so worth it. <laughs> Who else? Because I'm almost 30. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Your story just was like so aligned with everything that I've experienced, even down to like your dad's polo cologne. Um, it's like a little bit strange, actually. And I just love the meekness that I felt within the last week of hearing you um, of how there's other people doing the work and it's not easy but it's worth it and um, I'm just happy to be here to support you on a really monumental movement for, for you to <laughs> share with us like so thank you what's your name? Can I hug you? Okay. Anyone else? I love the fact that there's some people here that are from when you were 10 years old and are still around. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Who are you? What's your name? <laughs> Shana Feste and Les Dean. They're in the book. That's awesome. What did you say? What else, you guys? Anyone? Where are you going from here? Do you want to write something next, or do you just keep the workshops? I'll keep doing workshops and retreats. I do want to write something next. I have no idea what. And uh, what I would like to do is, is speaking and be able to get paid for that so I don't have to travel so much. And, you know, the work I do is so exhausting, because of the hearing issue, and so and I don't make that much money, and so I'd love to be able to get like make some good money speaking, and then be able to keep doing what I'm doing and do I do a lot of um, I do a lot of work for what's what not charity but like um, without cost I would love to do more of that and keep doing my retreats but not at the level that I'm doing now but I would absolutely love to sec write a second book no clue what so if you have an idea <laughs> send it to me <laughs> but but yes all of it just not as much I want to like sit home with my son more and watch more Netflix and 
like not have to put my hearing aids or my bra on. That's a good question. So when I first started doing this work, I was listening to and reading a ton of Wayne Dyer, thanks to my mother. She was adamant that I read and listen to Wayne Dyer and Susie Orman. Never got into Susie Orman, but Wayne became, became my obsession. And by the time Wayne died, he was my friend. And the moral of that story is stalking works. <laughs> so... But I started and like everything was manifestation and I basically was just a parrot of him. But over the years I found my own voice and I realized like I didn't actually agree with everything he said. You know, he says a lot of things like, I can manifest anything I put my attention on. And I used to say that 10 years ago all the time and I never say that anymore. That's my personal belief, I don't believe that. So um, I still think it's intriguing and amazing to talk about what we wanna create in our lives or manifest or wish for whatever word we wanna use if manifest is too woo. But what concerns me more now is the on being human part. So I, I think, and I think it's all the same in a way, you know, and I just realized that everything that I thought I wanted and that I held so closely, I just had to let go of. So I, I do think it's important to talk about what we want and to say it out loud or write it or whatever it is or daydream on it. But I don't, all my work isn't focused on that anymore. It's really like, what makes us human? What connects us? What hurts you? What brings you joy? Yeah, it's shifted. And one of my great epiphanies I talk about in the book is you get to change your mind. And I love that because I, I'm like, yeah, I get to change my mind. I've changed a lot. I, sometimes I, oh my God, some, I found some blog I wrote from like 10 years ago and I'm like, oh my God, I wrote that, it's so corny. But hey, we get to change our mind. I don't know, do you ever feel like that about anything you, old you wrote? You're like, <laughs> Daily. whoa, Daily. barf. Yeah, yeah so. Thank, thank oceans, we can change our minds because um, I have really bad ideas all the time. <laughs> and I love, you know, in the book I talk a lot and in my workshops, I, I have people write on sticky notes what they want to create in their lives. And the reason I love the sticky notes is because they are movable and malleable. And you, you like, you stick it and then you're like, eh, you know what? No, I don't. Or, and, and also you go and stick it on a wall in my workshop and it's the idea of like you're giving it away. You're letting go of it. And that's taking me until now. Until now. To really come to terms with. How do you let yourself be vulnerable? How do you let yourself be vulnerable? You talked earlier about being seen and being heard, but if you're terrified of being vulnerable, how do you let yourself be vulnerable? Well, it's not it's it's not to just any asshole on the street, first of all. Like that's a misconception, right? So first of all, I think you make sure that you're in a space where people who deserve it. Um, so in in specifically in our workshops or my workshops or retreats, you're in this space where it's a safe space. I mean, but look, if you're going to write a book, you can't control that, you know? So um, 
you find other ways to practice self-care? You know, so are you a writer? Okay. So if that's what you're talking about, then you have to kind of let it go. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, now it's, it's not mine anymore. Um, but really spe find specific things that are, what's self-care for me today? But in like a, a personal situation, it's finding people who look at you like they get who you really are, get you on a deep level and remind you who you really are and allow you to be vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, like if you're sitting there with someone, it's how bold one gets when one is sure of being loved, right? If someone's like, I love you. I love you. <laughs> if these people weren't here. <laughs> Lydia, wait till you guys read the book. Because, you know, Lydia, um, I read her book. And she's going to make, why are you telling the story? But she, her book changed my life. I was off my antidepressant, so I was weeping openly on an airplane. <laughs> and I messaged her. And she didn't respond. And so I made up a story in my head that she hates me and she's a snob. <laughs> and neither are true. Oh, I was terrified. Terrified. That's I was thing. terrified because she emailed me directly, and I thought she was amazing. I'm like, run and hide in the bathtub with the curtain closed, and do not speak, because I was terrified. I'm terrified. She still is. She's <laughs> right now. Yeah, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm among those in the room who is terrified every day of my life. Every morning I wake up, I experience terror, and I do it anyway. And she was worth it. And I could see it. That was going to be my question. Um, I was talking to you about a month and a half ago. We started NPR's Daily Broadcast Talk. So good. Her TED Talk is on being a misfit. It's so good. then you're going to love on being human. <laughs> the fact that your year is beyond, beyond. And so you used to teach at our health club. At Equinox? No, oh, Equinox. By the book. <laughs> but I'll, no, 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 but. We uh, met because I I went um, and I I took a workshop with her, I've, and I um, but we didn't really talk at the workshop. Not much. No, I mean she taught me, but it wasn't like we had this, you know. And then is that my son? I think so. Charlie, um, I do think you know, in fear of sounding too woo-ish, I do think it's important to pay attention to synchronicity. 
And also, I'm really good. I'm bad at a lot of things, but I'm really good at putting myself out there and asking. True. Yeah. Um, so I reached out to her, and I opened my, I put myself out there for her, even though she didn't respond at first. But that was the initial thing, where a lot of people would not do that. People are so afraid of what, oh, oh they're going to think I'm a stalker. They're going to think I'm weird. They're going to, you know. And we all have shame, and that putting yourself out there is like, in spite of my shame, I'm out there. So what's your number one tip for those of us that are stopped by the shame, the monstra, as you say? But what's the shame? The shame that the person will say no? Yeah, or, or, the sh or, or just like, I'm not good enough yeah. to No, that's a great question. I think, so, and I think this will be the last question, but I think, so all the years when I was waiting tables, I thought I was a piece of shit, truly. And I was pretending to be an actress, which I was waiting for someone to come discover me. Never happened. Um, so when I became a yoga teacher, which I never really wanted to do anyway, weirdly, but I, I started making money. I started hustling in a way I never had because I was like, this is it, sink or swim. You're going to die if you don't get out of here. And, and then I started seeing like, oh, how if I like ask and I say, this is what I'm doing now. People started to listen and appreciate that. And I was like, this is working. And I also was really clear on like, I was 35 years old. No one else was going to do it for me. That was the biggest thing. No, I, I wasn't like I had a publicist. I was broke. Nobody was going to do it for me. And then I thought all the other things that almost killed me, okay, so in life, it's like keep going or shut down. So someone will say no to me or whatever, and then I'll pick up and keep going. I might stay in bed for a day, a week, five minutes, whatever it is. Over time, it's gotten less. But um, a lot of it is also ha habit. It's become a habit, and it's become practice. And I still get a lot of no's, and I still have moments of like burning shame, like I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? And yet here I am. So, thank you, superhero of love. That's Bridget Fonger, beautiful book. I'm sure they have it here, superhero of love. Thank you all so, 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 so much for coming out. And, I mean, L.A., I know. I'm, I actually am really surprised because L.A. is impossible to get people, in my story at least it is. So, I'm really moved. And you flew all the way here and... On a plane. On a plane. <laughs> and we actually... I also used my phone. <laughs> which I never, um, never do. Um, can you come help us and tell them what happens next? Uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. We're just going to clear these chairs out of the way to set up an area to hang out here and set up a table for signing. And um, there should still be food and wine. So just give us a minute to clear the chairs out of the way and then we can come back for space together. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. 
Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.